If you could have just one picture of Jesus, what would it be? Would it be Jesus healing the sick, calming the storm, teaching the multitude, rising from the dead, ascending into heaven, or holding a child in his arms surrounded by children? I've got a feeling many of us would choose the picture of Jesus and the children. There's something very comforting and reassuring about visualizing Jesus with children. And Mark pictures Jesus taking children up into his arms on two occasions. After the transfiguration, the disciples had been arguing about which one of them was the greatest. And when they arrived at Peter's house, Jesus took a child, most likely one of Peter's children, into his arms and said, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. That scene alone tells us much about Jesus and his relationship to children. If it was one of Peter's children, the child was no doubt well acquainted with Jesus because Jesus spent a lot of time in Peter's home. And in fact, when he moved from Nazareth to Capernaum, Peter's home became his home. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to picture Jesus playing with Peter's children as well as taking them into his arms. And when Jesus wanted to model greatness to the disciples by taking a child into his arms, he probably just opened his arms and little Pete came running. You know, children usually know when someone loves them and respond openly, and Jesus did love children. That becomes very obvious in the passage to which we come this morning. And they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them, and the disciples were rebuking them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands upon them. Jesus had just publicly championed the sanctity of marriage and the home. He had answered the Pharisees' question about the legality of divorce and made clear God's intent for marriage to be a permanent union that no man could separate. He was now in a home, clarifying some points to the disciples when parents started bringing their children, wanting Jesus to bless them. It was traditional for Jewish parents to seek out a prominent rabbi to pronounce a benediction over their children and seek God's blessing for them. And after hearing him speak so highly of marriage in the home, they apparently decided he should be the one to bless their children. The disciples, however, tried to protect Jesus from what they perceived to be overzealous parents. They knew Jesus was tired from a long day of traveling and teaching and were no doubt enjoying their private time with him. Besides, Jesus surely had more important things to do than put up with silly children and their pampering parents. <laughs> parents. <laughs> and Jesus did get upset, but not with the children or their parents. 
he got upset with the disciples. They should have remembered the priority he put on receiving children when he said, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. In fact, he was very angry with the disciples. Mark says he was indignant. In case you don't know what indignant means, it means to feel or express anger, especially at unjust or mean action. It can be defined as righteous anger. The word translated here as indignant literally means to grieve much. In other words, Jesus was really upset. He was physically pained by what the disciples were doing and said, in effect, get out of the way and let them come to me, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. That pretty well sums up Jesus' attitude about children, and it should set our priorities with regard to children as well. If we would be like Jesus with regard to children, we would take time for them, we wouldn't hinder their coming to him, and we would learn from them. Jesus was a busy man. He was on his way to Jerusalem to face the cross. He had a lot on his mind. His top priority was getting disciples ready for his death. And this private teaching session with the disciples was very important. In a short time, he would be gone. And they would have to deal with the problems in their ministries that he had to face in his, including the sticky problem of divorce he had just addressed. He wanted them ready. Well, it was on to this scene that the parents came bringing their children. But as busy as he was, Jesus took time for the children. What a lesson for us to learn here. Jesus took time for children. Do we? Do we even take time for our own children? Statistics suggest that we don't. Back in the 70s, a study by Cornell University showed that middle-class fathers of preschoolers spent an average of 37 seconds per day with each child. When asked, they thought they spent 20 minutes a day. A closer examination revealed it was actually less than a minute a day. Well, apparently... We are doing better. When I looked for current statistics on it, some studies showed that dads now spend two or three times as much time with their children as they did 50 years ago. One study even said it was seven times as much, which sounds good until you realize that it is only seven minutes a day. Now, we're not talking about just being in the house together. If that were the case, COVID-19 has made us a nation, a world of great parents. Neither are we talking about binge-watching Disney or Netflix together, nor even attending soccer games when they were being played and we could actually go. We're talking about one-on-one, face-to-face, quality time together with our children. And when we talk about quality time, 
we must be careful not to fall into the trap of excusing the amount of time we spend with our children by saying we make up for a lack of quantity with quality. No matter the quality of the time we spend with our children, they need more than seven minutes a day. It takes time to raise children. It takes time to answer their questions. It takes time to listen. It takes time to express love. It takes time to discipline. It takes time to teach. And let's not justify ignoring our children under the guise of making them independent. You know, I think independence is highly overrated in our society, and I'm not alone in so thinking. Edith Schaefer, the wife of Francis Schaefer, who was one of the great Christian thinkers of the 20th century, wrote a book that I actually like better than any of his. You've heard me mention it before, sharing her observation that families need to be like a door with hinges and a lock. The book is What is a Family? And concerning the matter of independence, she wrote, One of the places in danger of becoming pushed out of balance in this century of family relationships is the area of dependence versus independence. Some accept without question the drive for independence as being necessary and good. Some parents feel their greatest responsibility is to teach their children independence. They push a child off their laps with a feeling of great virtue. I'm teaching him to be independent. Later, these same parents don't bother to answer letters when their children are away. They have to learn how to get along without us. They push a child away when he comes in fear or with questions. Run along now. You have to find things out for yourself. They pointedly go away when a child is weeping and never try to find out what is wrong. Put out your light and go to sleep. And then feel proud of saying to some other adult within hearing, I'm making her self-sufficient. All signs of dependence are squashed by some parents as quickly as possible. Give the baby a cup as soon as possible so he or she won't depend on the bottle for comfort. Breastfeeding is put aside by some as an unnecessary beginning of dependence upon the mother. Get a babysitter who is new every time and walk out without any explanation is the method some use in order to wean the child away from depending on the mother or father. Any tiny leaf growing on the little plant of communication is pulled off as a sign of dependence. Yet later in life, these same parents will sit alone in old folks' homes or in nursing homes or in lonely apartment houses while their independent children let the parents also be independent. Is this what a family is all about? Isn't there something upside down here in the call for men to be independent of their wives, wives to be independent of their husbands, children to be independent of their parents, and vice versa? People, afraid of dependence on people. Where is the balance? Family life through the years should be a beautiful and blended balance of dependence upon each other. 
The security that comes in the midst of dependence gives birth to the right kind of independence. A child is meant to learn by the dependability of the mother's and father's interest and concern that God is a father who can be depended upon. When God promises guidance, his strength in our weakness, availability, comfort in our sorrows, love, understanding, compassion, these things should have been found on a human level as real elements in the relationship with parents. A very false picture is being given of God when parents push children away in a frenzy of teaching independence as the greatest thing to be learned. What's wrong with dependence of husband upon wife, wife upon husband, child upon parent, parent upon child, grandparent upon grandchildren, grandchildren upon grandparents? There's nothing wrong with depending on each other. That's why God gave us families. And we do have to be there if our children are going to be able to depend on us. Now, I realize many have determined that due to financial obligations, both parents need to be in the workplace and some type of child care outside of the home is deemed necessary. But we must be very careful not to let financial goals become an excuse for negligent parenting, something that was happening long before there was daycare. The prophet Jeremiah lamented, Even jackals offer the breast. They nurse their young. But the daughter of my people has become cruel like ostriches in the wilderness. The book of Job helps us understand the picture Jeremiah paints. The ostrich's wings flap joyously with the pinion and plumage of love, for she abandons her eggs to the earth and warms them in the dust, and she forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may trample them. She treats her young cruelly as if they were not hers. Though her labor be in vain, she is unconcerned because God has made her forget wisdom and has not given her a share of understanding. The mother ostrich lays her eggs and goes on her way, doing her own thing, tending to her affairs, too busy to care for the egg or the baby that comes from it. We must never sacrifice our children on the altar of personal fulfillment. Nor can we allow ourselves to be deceived into thinking that the most important thing we can do for our children is to give them a bigger house or more stuff or a better education. What our children need is us and our time. We may be busy, but we're not out to save the world. Jesus was. And he still had time for the children. So take time for the children. And by all means, don't hinder the children. Jesus got angry when the disciples stood in the way of children coming to him. Do we ever stand in the way of children's coming to Christ? 
I'm afraid we might, and in a couple of very obvious ways. The first is the way we support, or at least did support before the opportunities to do so were pretty much put on hold, the church's efforts to train up children in the faith. Did you make coming to church and bringing your children to church a top priority on Sunday mornings? Did you stay for Sunday school so your kids would also take advantage of the interactive teaching that takes place during Sunday school? Did you encourage your kids to come to youth group meetings by participating in the Sunday night adult study? Did you encourage your kids to go to camp and attend the special events and conferences that are offered? If you didn't, you may well have been hindering them from coming to Jesus. And now is a good time to reevaluate your family's involvement in the various programs we offered and will soon offer again to help children develop a deep-seated relationship with Christ. It's also a good time to reexamine your involvement in making possible our ministry to children. Did you express a willingness to help in a classroom, sponsor a youth group, or chaperone an event? Were you scheduled to work in the nursery to show the love of Jesus to infants and toddlers and make it possible for parents to receive the spiritual encouragement they need to be good parents? We can hinder children's coming to Jesus by failing to support the church's efforts to bring them into his presence. And we can certainly hinder their coming to him by what we do or don't do in the home. Do we practice behind closed doors what we publicly profess? Do our children see us living lives that honor Christ with honesty, integrity, and compassion? Do we treat each other with the courtesy and respect due a child of God? Do our children know of our love for the church and know how much we miss gathering with our brothers and sisters on Sunday mornings? Do our children hear us expressing gratitude for God's provision and promise, even in times of loss, disappointment, and deprivation? Our daily attitudes and actions speak volumes about our faith in Christ and can either hinder our children from coming to him or draw them to him. And then, of course, we can hinder our children's coming to Christ by never talking to them directly about their need for him. Now, the church has an important role to play in teaching your children about Christ but that does not mean you can remain silent. The responsibility to teach children the things of God was given to parents right after the giving of the law in the Old Testament, and it was never taken away from them. And now, more than ever, it's essential that parents follow the instructions Moses gave to fathers 3,500 years ago. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 
And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Before you can effectively teach your children about the Lord, you must make sure your relationship with him is what it ought to be. Don't try to teach your children about God without loving him with all your heart, soul, and might. And then openly express your love for God and tell of his love for you and your family. And then, once you've taken God's word to heart, share it diligently with your children. Read it to them. And show them how the Bible relates to everything in their life. And do so as a regular part of everyday conversation, not just as a religious interlude into life. Make God a part of everything you do. Talk about him and thank him when you sit down to eat. Reflect on the wonders of creation when you take walks and when you go on vacations. Read Bible stories and pray with your children when you put them to bed and wake them up with the joy of the Lord. Do everything you can to make them fall in love with the only one who loves them even more than you do. Our biggest responsibility as parents is to bring up children who love the Lord and who are prepared for eternal life. So make sure you are not overshadowing the importance of spiritual matters by making school, sports, and other activities more important than that which has eternal value. Don't let Jesus be grief-stricken about the way you're raising your children and even hindering their coming to him. The final lesson we learn from Jesus with regard to children is our need to learn from them. When Jesus said the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, he was indicating that if we would be a part of the kingdom of God, we must share some childlike characteristics. What they are, he didn't say. I think he wanted us to observe children and learn from them. Now, obviously, it's been a while since we had children in our home, at least our own children. But I can still remember some of the things I learned about being childlike from Nikki and Matt. And one of the first things that comes to mind is how teachable children are. You know, children don't think they know everything, at least until they're three or four. But even then, most are curious and ready to learn. And their capacity for learning is astounding. This is confirmed by our own grandchildren, who I'm sure are even smarter than their parents were at their age. That childlike teachableness is a characteristic we must have if we would be part of the kingdom of God. We're not to be gullible and be swayed by the ebb and flow of changing doctrines, but we must be humble enough to realize we can learn from each other. If that were not true, 
Paul would have never told us to let the word of Christ richly dwell within us so we could teach and admonish one another. Another aspect of childlikeness that comes to mind is how trusting children are. I can still remember Nikki and Matt jumping into my arms with complete abandon without first making sure I was ready to catch them. That's kind of scary for a parent. But that's the kind of trust we need as we fling ourselves upon the grace of God. I could go on, but you get the point. Look at your children or grandchildren and find in them characteristics you should emulate and become like them. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And Jesus said, if we don't receive the kingdom of God like a child, we won't get in. So picture yourself as a child being brought to Jesus. See his smile, his open arms, and just jump in. Don't let anything hinder you from coming to him. Don't let the concerns of adulthood or a coronavirus keep you from trusting in the one who died for you and has promised to take care of you. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we come before you as your children, acknowledging that you are our Father and realizing it's our place to be children in your presence. And may we learn how to do so by observing our own children and grandchildren. And may we take very seriously the need to make sure that our children feel welcome in your presence. May we do nothing that hinders their coming to you. May they see in us a picture of a God who loves them and wants to be with them for all eternity. Thank you, Father the picture we have of Jesus with the children and let us see ourselves as children in his arms even now in Christ's name amen